0: Psalm 145, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Join me in prayer. Lord, we know that you are good, and you are worthy of being shouted about, about being worshipped. You're the only one being worshipped, Lord, and I pray that we carry this sense of we have a, a responsibility, a privilege to go out into the world, out of these walls, and to proclaim your great name from young to old. Lord, we can proclaim and we can share how the wonderful works and the great things that you are doing. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. You may be seated. So today's a little bit of a different day. If you came in late or if you're tuning in a little bit later, my, uh, the reason why you might see some high schoolers, middle schoolers, students in here today is because it is Family Sunday. And it's, whenever I say Family Sunday, I don't necessarily mean mom, dad, and kids. This is for our church family to come together and worship the living God as one because you have <laughs> there is such significance in seeing in little kids seeing older generations worship beyond what their parents do at home there's such significance to that there is such life to be had and today's a special day because we're going to be talking about psalm 145 but before we do that I want to frame your mind to think of it like this 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 morning think of it like a Uh, Thanksgiving dinner, right? And we're all sitting around the Thanksgiving dinner table and being a gregarious individual, I'm probably at some point, like I normally do every year, stand up and say things to get under people's skin. It's called, some people call it older brother syndrome. That's what I have. I just try to push people, push people. I don't know. It just happens before I even know what happens. So this morning, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. I'm uh, going to push you and get under your skin a little bit. And not only that, I'm also going to ask you to do something incredibly different, something we haven't done at the end of this sermon, at the end of this service. I'm going to ask you to try to do something different. So like I said, think of this morning as just a Thanksgiving dinner where we're all gathering around and I'm your crazy, overly political uncle who's going to be stirring up the pot. So with that, we read. Out of Psalm 145 this morning, normally we would break the psalm down piece by piece and then tie it all back together in one central main point. But since we have some younger kids, I'm going to cut the sermon down by about 10 or 15 minutes. So as a result, we're going to focus linearly on one specific verse. Psalm 145, verse 4, where it says, One generation commends your works to another. That word commends... Is not a great translation. Uh, the, the Hebrew word that is actually used there is the word shabak. You got to get the guttural in there. Shabak. What it means, it means to shout or l- be loud. And it's in the PL tense. So in English, we have past, present, future tense. In Hebrew, they have like three extra tenses just for fun. And the PL tense means to take it to the extreme. So the idea here is that one generation is shouting the glories of God like a raving lunatic. It's not this soft word of commend, oh, good job, this is great. It is to be a raving lunatic. I compare it to magnifying your voice. That's why I picked this, this, because it magnifies your voice, and it makes you look a little silly carrying a a lasagna-style soup up on stage. Did you know... That the top of the soup is really easy to take a thing, a can opener with, but the bottom of the soup is incredibly difficult, and you'll cut yourself, hence why I have it duct taped at the bottom. But the point being, I cut myself last night, and the point being, we are called to be like raving lunatics, one generation to the other. The older generation is like a raving lunatic saying, this is God, this is who he is, this is how you live your life, and He's good. The younger generation says, yes, we hear, we understand, and we see him working in our lives as well. And it goes back and forth, back and forth. And when this comes together, it is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this, the beauty that's there. There was this uh, Eskimo tribe that lived in, on the beaches of Alaska. And every other week, the older men would take the younger men with them. Uh, on these hunting trips for like two or three days. And they, the older men would be with the younger men. Every other week, they'd go hunting. And basically, the young the older men would, when they gathered together, they would start to kind of poke at each other and make fun of each other. And the younger men saw that and was like, ah, that's what it means to be a man, to make fun of other people, right? To be silly. And then, if the if an older man lost his spouse or lost a family member, they would see the the younger boys would see the older men come around that older man and support and uplift him. So the younger generation would say, that's, I see it. Younger men make fun of, or older men, to be a man is to make fun of each other and be silly, but it's also to support one another. And then, whenever it came time to actually go hunt, the younger generation would see the older men basically go from being silly to putting on their game face. And they would sit on the shores of the beach for hours on end in absolute silence, waiting for the right moment, waiting for that seal to come up onto the beach and get to the right place. And in the, in the book I was reading, it, the, it referred to the older generations, as old timers. So the, the author said the old timers swore like the, the men just naturally knew. At the right moment, because they were so unified, when to stand up slowly and then use their weapons to shoot the seal. And they would shoot at the same time without any kind of signal because the unity was so strong amongst the men. And the younger generation saw this and said, this is what it means to be a man. Essentially, the older generation was saying, this is the way of manhood. This is how you live. This is how you support your family. And the the younger generation would say, yes, we get it. We want to model that behavior. We understand what it means to walk in these paths. And we we see this every week here at Cornerstone, don't we? We have uh, teachers in our children's ministry who sometimes they'll volunteer for three months, sometimes they'll volunteer for a year, but essentially they put together an hour's worth of a lesson throughout the week, and then they go teach the kids who God is, what he does, and they repeat his glories to the kids. And then the kids go into a small group with their small group teacher, and they just have discussions about this. And the kids are talking about who Jesus is and what He's done, and here's what's cool. After uh, a couple months ago, we had about uh, three, five, or six-year-olds commit their life to Christ. Essentially, they heard a lesson from the teachers. They went home and talked about it with their parents, and their parents led these three three boys to Christ. And what's cool is the the younger generation is essentially hearing the older generation, and then. And they're kind of raving lunatics sometimes in children's ministry it can get a little crazy with those teachers, but they're they're here and we hear you, we see you, and we have decided to love Jesus more than anything else. We have decided to love Jesus with all of our heart, mind, and soul. And do you know what that does for the older generation when they hear the younger generation get it? it invigorates them. When I, told the, when I told the older generation of teachers what these five-year-olds had done, their eyes wild, what, teared up. They were so excited. The Lord has been working through them, and we have this resonance going on back and forth, back and forth. It's a beautiful thing when we live out Psalm 145. But for this Eskimo tribe... Something happened that kind of disrupted this hundreds and hundreds of years of passing down what it means to be a man. There, uh, something disrupted the, the pathway. I kind of call it a sound barrier appeared. And it stopped the communication between the two. There was a huge problem that happened. It's something very simple, something very small. And that happened in 1980. Basically, here's what happened. A grocery store came to their town, so that the older men who used to have their place in providing for the community, providing for their family, they lost their role as providers. They lost their voice to communicate because they were seen as excessive, not worth it. Why, why, why should we listen to you? They lost their place and for the younger generation, because they lost that connection with the older generation, they would, they would go on these hunting trips. But the hunting, sorry, i got to clarify this. The hunting trips became, they used to be every other week. But then they started to become once a month, once every six months. And then it became this once a year ceremonial thing that really didn't mean anything, right? So during this once a year ceremonial thing, the younger generation who hadn't been trained in how to hunt and hadn't been trained in the pathways of manhood, they would show up at this thing and they would bring things that are inappropriate for, for younger generations to have, right? But they saw their older men going off the rails because they lost their place in society and behaving in certain ways. And then they were like, oh, that's what it must mean to be a man. So I'm 10 years old, 12 years old. I'm gonna bring along this adult beverage, that kind of stuff, right? And then while they were hunting, while they were hunting, basically you had to be quiet for several hours, but the older generation said that they couldn't even be quiet for five minutes. And as a result, the younger generation was scaring away the seals and keeping them from even coming up onto the shore. And that made the older generation, older generation furious. You don't get it. You don't get it, right? And then as soon as the seal was Silly enough to come up onto the shore despite the noise, the older generation would start to get up slowly, right? Just like the old time, just the way they always used to. But the younger generation would stop talking at each other and then all of a sudden see the seal and just pull out their guns and start shooting like crazy. They were entirely missing the point. And what happened was, because of the grocery store, it created a sound barrier where the younger generation was to reverberate and say, yes, we see the way of manhood, now it became a generation of lost boys who had no idea how to grow up. And it became a generation of lost men who lost their voice and did not have a place to speak anymore, all because of a grocery store. Now, we have, we have certain things in our society, too, that separate the generations, right? Uh, as a young adult pastor, I worked with 20-somethings primarily, so we had everything from recent high school graduates to college students to people just starting their careers to people who were married and married and had kids. And they would have issues, as all normal people do. And sometimes it would get beyond me, but it wasn't enough to send them to a, a therapist. So I would go find someone who's older, to, at the church to speak into their lives. i was like, hey, can you just meet with them for like four to six weeks? And when the older generation said, yes, we'll do that, we'll, I'll speak with them, amazing things happen. But sometimes I would ask people, and they'd say, yeah, Brandon, I would love to, to speak with that person, but you just don't get it. The millennials don't get it. It's the, yeah, but the millennials, dot, 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 right? You fill in the blank. Yeah, but the millennials, they, all they care about is their phones. They have their faces in the screen constantly. They don't care about anything. I had one. They'll say things like, when I was their age, I had a car, a job, kids. These guys don't have anything like that. The millennials just want to buy $10 Starbucks coffee, right? That's all they want to do. I don't want to help these people who don't want to listen to me. And it, we have to ask ourselves as the younger generation... Is there a level of truth to that? Not to you as an individual. I'm talking about the broader generation. Is that true? Is it true that when the younger generation feels emotionally unstable, instead of reaching out for help, what they do is they shrink back into a little comfort cocoon, and they say, okay, I don't like how I'm feeling, so I'm just going to turn on all these screens and distract myself, and these screens will give me happy feelings. So I don't have to deal with what's going on with me. And instead of, and if, let's say, a younger generation gets married and has kids and they have marital problems or kid problems, instead of reaching out to an older generation and saying, how did you do this? How did you help this? That's awkward to reach out like that and ask questions. Instead, they slip into their comfort cocoon and Google, how do I handle this issue with my child and take the first three answers that come up? Instead of listening to what the older generation could advise, they listen to the first three articles that come on Google, right? So there's this idea of living in a comfort cocoon. There's an idea of, yes, Psalm 145 says that they are to be raving lunatics shouting out the glory of God and how he's working in their life and in their generation, but the younger generation has essentially put the can down and disappeared into their little comfort cocoon. That's the younger generation. Like I said, my role today is to be that overly political uncle um, and get under your skin. So let's talk about the older generation now. Let's talk about the barriers that they bring. I would describe the older generation as doing something akin to this. Here's the issue. Here's the problem. Let's kick it down the line. Someone else can deal with it. This started in the 70s and it really peaked in the 2000s. I could teach my kids about Jesus, or I could just drop them off at the church. And the church will teach them about Jesus. They'll teach them how to pray. I don't need to have any kind of those conversations. I I could talk to my kids about adulthood and prepare them, or I could just let the school system do it. Right? There's a kicking, there's a process of kicking the can down the road saying it's someone else's responsibility. And if of, on the chance that a younger generation does reach out to the older generation and say, I need help, a lot of times whenever I've connected people, it, I'll get this response back of, yeah, but the older generation just told me that I don't have my priorities right because when I was their age, because they said when I was their age, I had this, this, and this, I had a car, I had a family, I had all this, and they basically said to get my priorities right. And I, w- I would actually argue that that makes sense But you're comparing different financial situations from the older generation being young adults to the young adults now. There's a huge difference. You're comparing apples to oranges, specifically in the generation, in the financial world. Because here's what happened. Here's what I mean. The greatest generation came back from World War II, and they had lots of kids, a lot of kids. The, the, The greatest generation had the baby boomer generation. And the greatest generation said, you know what? We want to invest in our kids. We want to show them the goodness of God by investing in our kids. And this is how they invested in their kids. They taxed themselves. In 1946, they started taxing themselves. Some people got taxed like 92% of their income. All the way to 1960s, people were being taxed all the way up to 70, percent two or 70, it doesn't matter, 70% of their income, right? They were taxing themselves at absurd rates so that they could build great things. They could build up the country. The greatest generation decided, we are going to tax ourselves a lot so that we can build an infrastructure, aka 50,000 miles of interstate highway, and we're gonna pay that in full, and that's gonna be a blessing. We're gonna build power grids, power reactors. We're gonna build bridges, and the greatest generation said, we're going to pay for that in full, But then, when it came time for the baby boomers to make those political decisions, they could have said, we are going to bless you guys with the upkeep of this. We don't need to build anything new. We just need to bless with the upkeep. The baby boomers said, you know what? We're not going to raise taxes and fix this. Instead, we're going to wait until something starts to break, and then we'll take out loans to fix it. So the loans will be paid off by our children, and the, such large size of loans were taken out that basically the baby boomers' great-great-grandchildren are going to be paying this off. This is why our national debt went from 33% to 40 years, or th- sorry, 35, year, 35 years later being 102% in debt because of all these loans that were taken off, taken out because of all of the kicking of the can down the road. So whenever you compare... The financial situation of a young adult today, you can't compare it to it back then because there was an inheritance from the greatest generation, and then there was a siphoning off of money from future generations. That's why it was easy to have so many different things. That's what, so there, there's a lack of comparison there, and that's important to understand because the, the bottom line illustration is, is that there is a sense of kicking the can down the road. And I'm not saying all the older generation was like this. There were people who fought against this mentality. There were people who said this was not the right way to go, right? Just like not all young adults live in a comfort cocoon. And actually, here's what's really cool. We have young adults in this church, or I'm sorry, we have students in this church that have not been in a mission trip. Our high school and middle school has not been on a mission trip in over, I think, five or six years. And now this upcoming summer in July, we have... 29 people going on a mission trip to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And guess what? It's going to be hot, it's going to be difficult, and it's going to require a lot out of these students. But these students are not living in a comfort cocoon. They're stepping out to glorify God, to learn about how to glorify God. They're doing amazing things. On top of that, we have uh, last year at this time, we had three in our young adult program, we had three people Total who had any experience, any kind of training leading a young adult or leading a small group. That's highly problematic because I'm looking at like a structural kind of thing, and I'm saying because we only have three, our ceiling for what we can actually do is quite low. (laughs) It's quite low. So we start, so what I did, so what we did, we went to the Uh, high school leaders, the older high school leaders, the seasoned veterans, and we asked them, hey, you're doing a great job discipling students, would you mind expanding what you're doing and bringing alongside a young adult with you and training them in how to lead a small group? And Scott Patricus, even though he's a part of the younger generation, he had a large part of this too. And the, the, the high school leaders had a large part of this too. And we went from three young adults who had any kind of training in leadership for church leadership all the way to nine In a matter of a year, that raises the ceiling of what we can do, right? And that's why we're doing things like uh, a a weekend away, right? Now, a retreat, a leadership retreat for young adults this upcoming summer. We are so excited about that. But we went from two young adult small groups to now we have four young adult small groups, We're seeing this progression, this leadership development, all because the older generation in our high school ministry said, yes, we will invest not only in high school students, but also in the leadership of young adults. That's huge. That makes huge impact. And we have other things happening too, like the Ellsworths. Uh, They're going to be teaching classes for young marrieds. It's, It's amazing what can happen when generations pick up the can and they start to glorify God. It's amazing what can happen when they step forward and say, I want to be a part of this. I don't want to live in my comfort cocoon. I don't want to kick the can down the road. This is where I draw the line. This is where I stand. When that happens, amazing things happen.